0: now on our calendar or at least on my google calendar it says something about easter sunday i don't know if your calendar says something like that as well here's the reality of the early church every sunday was easter sunday that early church gathered every week to remember uh, that risen jesus christ every sunday was easter sunday to the early church and and I understand there are elements to our culture where uh, we have earmarked this Sunday as Easter Sunday. But if you're not aware, in God's economy, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. And uh, so, or Saturday, maybe in this case. So we just want you to be aware of that. And our Lord has risen. He is risen indeed. And the resurrection, if you think about this, The resurrection, according to the scriptures, changes everything. Everything. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It changes everything, not some of the story, not part of the story, but all of the story. Now, not all things in life change everything about our lives. I think we could agree on that there are some things in life where we don't always have to get it right and it's not the end of the world, so to speak, right? And as we grow older and mature, we understand those things that, that not everything, uh, we, we don't have to be right on everything, but on the resurrection, uh, we gotta be on the right side of this one. There's no margin, there's no middle ground, there's no gray area, we've gotta be right about the resurrection of our lord and savior jesus christ but not on other things of life agreed let me give you an example last around last october i noticed something on our kitchen counter at home it was one of these little uh perfume pamphlets i don't know how it got there it might have come in the mail somebody may have dropped it off but it was on our kitchen counter and on our kitchen counter, when we bring the mail in, it sits there for a day or two, and then it, it makes its way to where it needs to go, most of it in, in the trash can, right? And we, we usually keep the counter pretty, pretty clean and, and fresh, but I begin to notice that that perfume pamphlet, it's sticking around, and it just stuck around, and, and now we're mid-October, and it's sticking around, and I would notice every now and then that my wife, Sharon, would make her way over to the perfume pamphlet. And she would you know, open it up and you know what I'm speaking of, right? The kind that you can open and you smell the perfume and from time to time she would make her way to the perfume pamphlet that had been there seeming like a month now and she would sniff it and smell it and say, oh, I just love the smell of this perfume. Guys, are you tracking with me? I'm a little slow but about a month into it I'm like, oh, this is where this is going. Christmas is coming up. This is the perfume that she's crazy about. And so... Uh, What I did, I took my phone out, and I took a picture of the perfume pamphlet. I didn't want to mess this one up. I've messed up enough stuff. I didn't want to mess this one up. So I took a picture of the perfume pamphlet, and the perfume pamphlet stayed on the counter. It didn't seem like it was going anywhere soon. And so then the hints began to get a little more intense. Maybe around Christmas time, she began to say things like, hey, that perfume's not easy to get your hands on. You might ought to look into that. This is the perfume I want. And so I made a play, fellas. I made a play. I jumped online, purchased the perfume from a local company here in the Phoenix area. Of course, I bought it online, but I had to travel literally to the other side of town of Phoenix to pick it up. But hey, all for my wife. So I picked the perfume up, get home. Christmas Day comes. We're opening presents. And of course, she's shocked. She can't believe I I made a play and I got the perfume. And so... Here's the perfume. You can say, wow. I mean, when, when, when I began to look at the cost and the price, and, and, and I, I, we took out a second mortgage, it was like, what? <laughs> the Tiffany perfume. And this is, this is the perfume, and you can see how beautiful it is, and it's dazzling, and she was so excited about this perfume. This last Tuesday morning, before we were leaving uh, home to, to go to our respective workplaces, I noticed that my wife, Sharon, had an exorbitant amount of perfume on. Didn't think much of it. Like, oh, well, she's gonna have a great day. She smells good anyway. And she had a lot of perfume on and and she heads out the door, she comes back home and we're having dinner, I think, on Tuesday evening and, and she breaks the news to me. She doesn't like the perfume. She breaks the news. She's like, oh, by the way, that perfume you got me for Christmas, I'm not that crazy about it, but there is another perfume that she prefers. Now, here's the the challenge. Tuesday morning, she was somewhat drenched. We're pretty good stewards of our perfume and cologne. I'm pretty good stewards of that. And and so we we, we use it sparingly, we use it wisely. And if you were able to see this bottle, it it is still predominantly, I don't know, 90% filled with perfume. I said, honey, it's gonna be a long couple years for you with that perfume. And so I was thinking on Tuesday, I think what she's doing is she's overusing, you know when these airplanes go to land and they dump fuel? I thought that's the place she's trying to get rid of the perfume. I say that to say if you're around here on the weekends and I smell a little fresh, you'll know why. It's a silly story about something that it's fun It's not the end of the world. She's not crazy about it. She doesn't have to be right about this. But the resurrection demands that we be right about it. No room for error. And our problem with the resurrection as we come to this conversation, there is a disconnect between what this looks like and what this means and and our paradigm and perspective for our life experience tells us something quite the opposite of what we read in the Scriptures. What I mean by that is who among us hasn't at some point in time been a part of a loved ones or a friend's memorial service? And the, the city I grew up in, it was pretty common to have what we would call an open casket, not as common here in the West. And you would make your way by that open casket and you would see a loved one or a friend or a co-worker and you you would look into that casket and there would be a lifeless, somewhat maybe cold corpse. And for us to think that, that that dead corpse has the Potential to live again, it just doesn't fit our paradigm, does it? Our life experience, says, there's no way. Our reality of life says, I don't think so. But what does the Scripture say? As we take a look this weekend, I want you to begin looking in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul gives us somewhat of a summary of the resurrection. The Scriptures will be on the screen. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there. I'm reading out of the NIV. Paul says, for what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. Say first importance with me. Ready? First importance. This is priority one. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that He appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. In other words, some have passed away. Then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me as one who had been abnormally born. Paul's talking about as one that was born at a different time, maybe than the original apostles. As you think about the resurrection, I think we need to begin to understand, well, what's the reason? What's the purpose? Why? Why a resurrection? Why a death, burial, and resurrection? Have you ever thought about that? Why? What's the reason? What's the motive? I think according to the Scripture, it's all about relationships. It's all about the Father entering into our world through His Son for the purpose of relationships. So, for example, in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11, notice what the Scripture says. Romans chapter 5. Let me begin reading actually in verse 8. The Scripture says that, but God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The reason is reconciling relationships. God demonstrates. The word means to to come alongside, to partner with. If you dig a little deeper on the word demonstrate, it actually means an expression of kindness and care. So so see God's work in our lives as an expression of His kindness and His caring for us. He is demonstrating His love while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Let's read on. Look what he says in verse 9. He goes on to say, Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if, when we were God's enemies, have you ever seen yourself as an enemy of God? An enemy. While we were enemies, look at what he says, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Look at verse 11. Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God our Father through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now been reconciled. The reason for the resurrection is the reconciliation of these relationships where God, where God has sent His Son into the world to bring us unto Himself. It's a powerful thought. It's a powerful thought that, that God the Father would withdraw His wrath he would withdraw his wrath through his son Jesus Christ and this redemptive act of the cross that Gregory spoke about, that the burial and on the third day the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of that is a part of God's redemptive purpose to bring us into this reconciled relationship. We were once enemies with God and now Paul says we're friends. Once enemies, now friends that the reason are these reconciled relationships and then we got well what's the result of the resurrection right let let me give you a few things now this is not an exhaustive list these are just some things that that i think we can identify as the results the first result is this is that christ's character is confirmed right look in look in mark chapter 8 verse 31 the scripture says that jesus began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things be rejected by the elders the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed, and after three days rise again. This is Jesus speaking. So the resurrection has a lot to do with the character and the integrity of Jesus Christ. You cannot say, I will rise in three days and not rise in three days and that be a character, integrity thing to do or say. Would you agree? So if you say... I'm rising in three days. You validate your character and integrity when you rise on the third day. The second thing we can take away, the second result would be this, is the forgiveness of sin, it's finalized. Look at the passage in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, where Paul says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Believers are justified. Say that word with me. Justified. Say it one more time. We are justified. Pastor Ron has taught this church this beautiful thing of what does justification means? It means just if I had never sinned. Isn't that a powerful thing? When when the Father sees us, those of us who are in Christ, He sees His Son. So this amazing result is, is forgiveness of sin is finalized. Very powerful. The third thing, third result, is that believers are filled with power. Romans eight eleven. Look at what Paul says here. He says, And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because His Spirit who lives in you. Believers are empowered by the Holy Spirit now. It is a powerful prospect to begin to wonder, well, what's the result of the resurrection? That we are to live empowered lives. That right now that the Father is imparting life to us, this abundant life. Paul says in Romans 8 that we are more than conquerors through Jesus. More than conquerors. So you think about these results, the character of Christ and the forgiveness of sin is finalized. And then we see that believers are filled with power. The last thing I want to share with you here is that believers have a living hope. Look at 1 Peter 1.3. By the way, Peter was one of the cats that was drastically changed after the resurrection. Total life change. Look at what Peter says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in His great mercy. He's given us new birth into a living hope. Say that with me. Into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. A living hope. A few weeks ago we had some friends out who are living, they live in Oklahoma City area. They came to the Phoenix area for a long weekend, just a little getaway, uh, husband, wife, and they brought their son with them. They called us and said, hey, let's go to dinner. This was, again, maybe a month ago on a Sunday night. And we're like, okay, so my wife and I drove uh, to Scottsdale. We went to dinner with them. And they said, hey, you guys should come hang out at the resort. I'm like, okay, I don't get to do it very often. So I'm like, what resort are you guys at? They're like, oh, we're at the, the Keralyns here in uh, Scottsdale. That's how Oklahoma people do it. So we're hanging out at the Keralyns. I pull into the Keralyns, first time I'd ever been there in Scottsdale, around the the corridor area there. And as I pull in, to my left, I see a gentleman walking in front of my vehicle, kind of the entrance of the of the resort, carrying a bagpipe, wearing a kilt. I thought, is this Scottsdale or Scotland? (laughs) Like, where where did I land? I'm like, no, this is only in Scottsdale. There's a dude. He's making his way into the resort. Bagpipes and kilt. I'm like, huh? This is interesting. I didn't know. Well, I didn't know the history. And so, uh, this is actually the gentleman. And so, we get into the resort, and our friends are like, "Hey, come out back. There's fire pit. There's a golf course. We're just we're hanging out. We're catching up on life." And and then this gentleman who plays the bagpipe. I believe he's been there. I think around 20 years he's played at the resort. Don't hold me totally to that, but he's been there a minute he made his way to the back where everyone was hanging out and enjoying the evening and man he he let loose with the bagpipe and and you've probably heard a bagpipe and it's rich and it's deep and it's beautiful it is so unique in its sound is that fair to say it's moving we were outside yet it's it's filling the area with sound and people are drawn to this amazing Playing of the bagpipe. When that man began playing that bagpipe, my heart and my mind traveled back to January the 17th, 2009. Myself, my family, and friends stood on a little hill. Southeast Oklahoma City area. And we stood on that little hill. And we stood at the graveside of my father. That was the last time I had ever heard a bagpipe played. And when this gentleman began playing that bagpipe, I was immediately taken back to the moment as I stood at my father's grave and as we lowered him into the ground. But that's not the end of the story for my father. That's not the end of the story for those who have placed their faith in Jesus. It's a hard part of the story. It's not the end of the story. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, we do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. We grieve, but we do so with a living hope. A living hope. J.R.R. Tolkien said this, the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus means that one day everything sad will come untrue. Everything sad will come untrue. True. Well, how do we respond to this resurrection? What what are we to do with with this resurrected Lord that we see in the Scriptures? I begin to understand that our response to His demonstrated love deepens my understanding of the love demonstrated. say it again. My response to the demonstrated love, and by the way, the resurrection is a demonstration of God's power. I argue it's a demonstration of His love as well. And our response to the demonstrated love of God it deepens my understanding of His love that He's demonstrated to me. First John chapter four verse sixteen, the Scripture says, "We have put our trust in His love." As we trust His love, we understand that His love can be trusted. As we trust His love, we understand His love can be trusted. This Wednesday, this past Wednesday, I had a dinner, I uh, had a lunch with. Some friends I'd never met before, and my wife was there, and we were meeting with these friends. We knew them. They were friends of friends, and we made their, our way to their home. And we were having this incredible lunch together, and there was a man there in his mid-30s. And he, he was uh, kind of hanging out with me on the couch before lunch was served. And we're sitting there. He had his leg crossed. He looked at me, and he says, I'm hopeless. I'm like, "Huh? Wow really? I thought he was saying, man, I'm hopeless. No, he was saying, I'm hopeless. So I kind of, I never met the man before. I kind of tapped him on the knee and thought, oh man, really? He's like, yeah, I'm hopeless. Like, you're not hopeless, man. You got a beautiful family. It showed me his family. You got a wife, two kids, owned a, owns a business here in Phoenix. I'm like, you're not hopeless. He said, listen to me, pastor. I'm hopeless. Like, what? He's like, I'm not a believer in Jesus. I'm like, okay. You see, his religion, his tradition is a tradition that has over 300 million gods. And amongst 300 million gods, the man is hopeless. Let's contend it's not the amount of gods. It's the true God. And, and in a world where hopelessness reigns and a an, Certainty seems to be out of control and there's discouragement and then, and we're distraught. And in the midst of that environment, the hopelessness around us does not mean that we cannot be hopeful within. In the midst of the hopelessness, God's people have hope in Jesus Christ. Hope. I'll close with a story that we see in the Gospel of John chapter 11. Jesus is in a conversation with a lady named Martha. Her, her brother, a great friend of Jesus, he's passed away. You might know the story. Jesus makes his way to the area where they live. It took him four days to get there, intentionality, I believe. And he's standing at Lazarus' tomb. Look at that. He has this conversation with Martha. I'll just read a, a small portion of it. Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Wow, what a question. Notice Martha's response. Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe. I believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God who came into the world. What a fascinating response. Let me ask you this weekend do you believe this do you believe this what a question do you believe this do, do you believe this you know oh yeah I, I believe that it's possible that and by the way the the poll right now says about two-thirds of Americans do believe in a bodily resurrection of christ about 66 percent believe it i'm not worried about the 66 percent i want to worry about you me. You're like, oh yeah, I believe in the resurrection. Do you know that you can believe in the resurrection of Jesus and not believe in Jesus? You can believe that there was an event that happened in the resurrection, of course, through the empirical evidence of history and the scriptures. That, oh yeah, I believe in the resurrection. You can believe in the resurrection of Jesus and not believe and trust Jesus. But you cannot believe and trust in Jesus and not believe in the resurrection. Do you believe this? I just want to take a moment and invite you, if you don't believe, to believe. Not in an event. Jesus, in the conversation with Martha, says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. You're going to witness a resurrection, but resurrection is an event. It's a person. His name is Jesus. And that's why Martha says, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah how do we respond to this what do we do first of all just admit you need Jesus just just an acknowledgement right just the I, I admit I need Jesus I can't save myself I can't save myself I need a savior so just acknowledge that admonition that I have sinned and and I need a savior And then just believe in Jesus. You're like, well, I believe in Jesus. No, no, no. The the biblical belief is I am trusting. Right? I have learned to trust in his love. And then we confess him as Lord. Just as Martha did, she says, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah. I just invite you just in this moment, and we're, we're wrapping this up. I just invite everyone in the room, the sound of my voice, just why don't we just bow our heads just for a moment. Let this just be just a brief time of spiritual reflection. A time for you just to kind of maybe take a little inventory spiritually. And We would be amiss this evening if we did not give the opportunity for you to answer the question, do you believe this? That question is not only about a historical event, the resurrection of Jesus the question is more geared toward do you believe in Jesus in Jesus as the resurrection and the life if you have not and you're like pastor I'm ready to cross the line of faith I have questions I'm not sure but I'm ready to take the first step as Martha did admit and acknowledge you need this Jesus you can't save yourself you're not good enough We cannot live a life, a noble enough life to enter into this reconciled relationship with the Father apart from Jesus. Do you believe, do you trust in Him and will you confess Him as Lord? What does that mean, Pastor? That means that from now on, Jesus is Lord. He is the boss of your life. You are surrendering it all to Him. He makes decisions, He leads the way. It's all for Him now. If you're ready to cross that line of faith, I just invite you to just pray this simple prayer. Just say this to God the Father. Just say, Father, I admit and I acknowledge my sin and that I need Jesus. I place my trust in the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross. And I now will confess Him as Lord of my life. Scripture says that If we will confess Him as Lord and believe that He was raised from the dead, we will be saved. Please, no one look around just for a moment. If you prayed a prayer, something like that, or in your heart you're saying, I'm not sure I prayed that prayer, Pastor, but I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. I would ask you in just a courageous moment, would you just look at me so I can just pray for you? Just look at me. Thank you. Thank you. In a spirit of prayer, as we close tonight, <clears throat> I want to challenge you to share that with someone. I'm going to be at the front of, the, of our room tonight. I have a little pamphlet. Just I want to pray with you and just help you get started on this journey of faith. Do not leave and, and, and think, hey... <clears throat> I'll tell somebody later. Just tell someone tonight. Say, hey, I I, I gave my life to Jesus the best I knew how. Surrendered it to Him. You need to let someone know who is a believer, a follower of Jesus. We want to come alongside of you and help you on that journey. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen. If you acknowledge that, I'd love to have a conversation with you. As we close, let me say this, that the resurrection argument has been mainly centered around the empirical evidence for the most part. I want to argue just for one second that the empirical evidence is powerful and needed and it is ample. But I want to argue an equally compelling position around the changed lives of those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus. The most powerful apologetic of the resurrection of Jesus Christ are believers. It's the most powerful apologetic. I appreciate the work of theologians of putting it on paper and me reading it and using the Scripture. It's all in the Scripture, but we must not discount the powerful apologetical position of those of us who claim to be followers. The people of God living out the life of Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. There is no more compelling argument for the resurrection than a changed life. A people with Christ, we used to say back in the day, a people on fire for Jesus, on fire passionate about jesus if you're in the room and you're not a believer and many of us have claimed to be believers but you don't see it in us we apologize i didn't think that would land very well because those of us who are believers if we have been empowered with the jesus the resurrected lord of the scriptures if we have been empowered with Him, let's rise up, get up, and look up and live the life He's called us to live. If Jesus is not alive among us, then I wonder, is He alive within us? And the church of Jesus Christ the local New Testament body of faith, it is time that we penetrate the culture. Good doctrine I'm all for. I'm love apologetics. But we need to penetrate it with the spirit, the love of Jesus Christ. Taking this Lord with us wherever we go. If he is alive, and I believe he is, do you? then let's go live like He's alive. Amen? Amen. He has risen. He's risen indeed.